Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O Lord, O, o God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yea, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. Righteousness shall go before him, and shall set us in the way of his steps. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity today to hear the preaching of your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill our hearts and minds with truth and wisdom, that you would help us to speak the right words and also help us to understand what we hear. Thank you for this day. May we glorify you and honor you in all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know whether to wear them or not wear them. I'm at that terrible stage where I can't see with or without them, so we'll just go without them. This morning, we have at least three different categories of people present. There are those this morning that are lost. They are without Christ in this dark world. To this group this morning, I implore you to listen to the voice of Christ as he calls out to you to believe in him and to receive the gift he offers you today, the gift of eternal life. The revival I will speak of today is to you a call to be revived from your state of spiritual death, to hear the call of the Father unto repentance and faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, to be awakened from the death of darkness and sin, and to live in the glorious truth of the light of Christ. Then there is a second group this morning. Those of you that have heard the voice of the Lord and have answered that voice and have believed and have received of the Lord the gift of repentance and faith. But over time, you have drifted away from the Lord. You have lost your first love. You have forgotten the pit from whence you were digged. You have become less appreciative and less dependent on the Lord and his innumerable blessings. You have become enchanted with the things of this world and have become entangled anew with the pleasures of sin. To this group this morning, I challenge you to return unto the Lord, to awaken from your sleep, and to walk anew in the grace and mercy of the Lord, to walk worthy of he that has called you unto life. But there is a third group this morning also. Those of you that are saved and have done your best to stay close to the Lord, You have remained faithful to your church, faithful to your pastor. You have remained faithful to your fellowship with the Lord and his people. But alas, there is an issue here as well. And the issue is that of pride or self-satisfaction. You have failed to remain humble before the Lord, 
supposing that you have attained to complete maturity as a Christian. In your heart, you believe yourself to be worthy of recognition for your superior attitude and self-control. You suppose that you deserve to be lifted and exalted because of your adherence to outward standards and rules. Yet, Jesus reminded those in his time that while they outwardly appeared as whited sepulchers, inwardly they were filled with all uncleanness. King Solomon warned us that pride goeth before fall. So to this group, I challenge you to awaken to the glory and majesty of God the Father and to walk in humility before the Lord and your brethren. Now that we have identified the challenges that face us this morning, and all of us falls into one of those three groups, even though we may not like it, let us now look at the things that will help us to overcome these challenges and to live our lives worthy of God. Now, I refer you back for a moment to Psalm 85. And the psalmist, the psalmist wrote in the sixth verse, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? It is most definite this morning that whoever we are, we are all in need of revival. So allow me to share some thoughts with you this morning concerning this. Now, the list is just... Uh, the list of, of areas in our life that we need revival in our nation today is just is far too, too, too long for me to be able to address. So what I've done is I've narrowed this down to just two and down to what I believe to be the, the two most pressing issues we face as Christians in America this morning. Number one, I think we are in need of a revival of hearing. We need a revival of hearing. In Psalm 85 and verse 8, we read just a moment ago, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. I refer you to the first part of verse 8. I will hear, you notice that word here, what God the Lord will speak. should circle that word hear and speak. God speaks to us. There are many ways God speaks to us. He doesn't speak to us with an audible voice. If you're standing in a room and you hear a voice and it says, this is God, I don't know about you, but I would definitely be moving fast. God doesn't speak to us with an audible voice, but he does speak to us. He speaks to us through his word when we read and study his word. He speaks, he speaks to us through preaching. He speaks to us through song. And there are ways that God speaks to us, and he does indeed speak to his people. Now, a major part of our life revolves around our ability to hear. And what a tremendous blessing this is. As I was preparing this message this week, I was sitting in my, in my kitchen, and I was listening to the singing of our parakeet, affectionately known as Jan Jan. And... It's a beautiful sound, although it is sometimes annoying, especially at 4 or 5 a.m. when the bird wakes up and starts singing and you're trying to sleep. But still, it's a wondrous and beautiful sound. In addition to the parakeet, as I was working, I, I was also hearing my grandson as he was playing in the kitchen and, and playing with his, his aunt. 
And the sound of his voice is, is so, such a comfort to me, such a joy to me. I so enjoy sitting back and listening to good music, allowing the songs and the hymns of our faith to refresh my spirit. Now, I do not intend to suggest that those that cannot hear are any less blessed by the Lord than those of us that can hear. But I cannot help but feel sorrow for them that they cannot enjoy the simple joy of hearing sounds. But in addition to the joy of hearing, there is also the importance of hearing. Our hearing warns us of imminent dangers, fire alarms and police sirens and emergency vehicles. These alert us to dangers and emergencies that lie before us. They prompt us to make the right decisions as we proceed forward. And I consider this with regards to our spiritual life. And as I do this, I recognize that our hearing, our spiritual hearing, is also extremely important. It is very important, it's so important that we hear the right things. First thing I want to talk to you about here this morning is hearing the right preaching. We need a revival in our nation today of, of good preaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verses 4 and 5, we read, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Our world today is filled with preachers who use empty words, vain words, who use feigned words, who seek to line their pockets with your money, who have no knowledge of truth or of the gospel of Christ. These offer, they, the Bible says they're like clouds with no rain. They, have no, they offer us no hope. They offer us no instruction. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and verse 3, we read, But there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Then in verse 3 he writes, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, or phony words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It's easy to find preaching in America today. There are thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of churches across this country. But alas, in the vast majority of them, the preaching that you will hear is designed only to strip you of your worth, designed only to benefit the preachers themselves. Rare is it that you will find a church where truth is proclaimed, where good and strong doctrine is preached. And we need a revival today. We, too many of our people are deceived by what they hear. Too many of our people are drawn away, the Bible says, are drawn away by, by pernicious words. We're like children tossed to and fro in a sea. And we need a revival this morning of right preaching. We need to open our ears to what's being preached and, 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 and compare it to the word of God and make sure 
that what we are listening to is good preaching. But not only do we need to a revival of, of good preaching, but number two, letter B, we also need a revival of sincere praises. In our day, criticism, suspicion, accusals, jealousy, anger, wrath, these are so commonplace that they serve to cause many to become greatly discouraged. You know, when I was growing up as a boy, and we would sit around the dinner table at night, and the conversation would, would, would begin, Daddy would ask us, how was your day, what did you learn in school today, and things such as that. But if we ever at any time turned our conversation to negative tones, Daddy would always say the same thing. He would always say, if you don't have anything good to say, then don't say anything at all. My daddy was a man. He would never allow us to criticize another person. He didn't want to hear. If you came to my daddy and said, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? He'd say, no, and I don't want to hear. We've become such a negative people today. And I'm, by the way, I'm preaching to myself as well. We've become so negative. Instead of finding something kind and helpful and good to say about a person, we will often, and again, I'm preaching to myself, we will often say something negative or hurtful or, or spiteful. We become a negative people. And it is time that we stop being negative and stop being critical and start offering praise. Look for, some, look for the good things to say. We need a, we need a revival in our, in our hearts and minds today. A revival of, of sincere praises. In Ephesians chapter 4, listen to the admonitions that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 4. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. You, You realize when we, as God's children, when we begin to criticize one another... And when we begin to, to think ill of one another, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We cause him to have grief. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now look at verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You realize that but by the grace of God, we would all be condemned to hell for all eternity? You realize that but for the mercy and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that all of us would face eternal damnation and judgment? By what right do we criticize each other? By what right do we criticize anyone? The Bible said that Michael, the archangel, when confronting Satan, would not even cast an accusation against him. But how quickly do we cast accusation against others? 
We need a revival of sincere praise today. We need to learn to be thankful for one another. We need to learn to praise one another. We need to learn to lift each other. Now, I realize I may be hard to lift. It may take four or five of you. You'll get that in a moment. But we need a revival of sincere praise. And then, thirdly, we need a revival of godly principles. We have become so desensitized as, a, as people in our generation. Sex and violence on television no longer shocks us. And I'm not talking about on pay-per-view, but I'm talking about on local cable television. Our young people have become influenced by the philosophies of the producers and directors of Hollywood. Our insatiable hunger for shocking television has erupted into the glorification of the most seedy people in our society. These individuals whom we would never personally associate with, not to mention allow our children to associate with, they provide us they provide for us an escape from morality, ethics, honesty, decency. And as surrogates, we experience their lifestyles from our living room sofas. And whether you want to admit it or not, they begin to influence the principles by which you conduct your life. I'd like for you to turn with me, please, to Psalm 101. We're, we're there in, in 85, just a few pages over. We need a revival today of godly principles. Let's look at Psalm 101, and we'll read that together. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. Now listen to what David says. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A froward or disobedient heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath an high look and a proud heart will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walketh in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that worketh deceit, shall not dwell within my house. He that telleth lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will, eager, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. And here we see that David, David vows to live a holy life. He, 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 he sets in motion to his Lord a vow that he will not know a wicked person, that he will not, he will not allow those that hate God to, to dwell in his presence. We need a revival this morning. We need a revival of hearing. How is your hearing this morning? No matter which of the three groups that we named that you would find yourself in, we need this revival of hearing in our lives. But secondly this morning, we need a revival of heeding. Again in Psalm 85 and verse 8, the latter part of the verse we read, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. 
want you to focus in on the second half of that verse, the second part. But let them not turn again to folly. I've been in the ministry for nearly 32 years. And I'm always amazed at how quickly Christians tend to fall away from the Lord. And without fail, they will come back. And they will question why they can't seem to keep their heart and their mind focused on the Lord. Well, Psalms gives us a pretty good reason why. In Psalm 119 and verse 9, we read, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And the question is answered, By taking heed thereto, according to thy word. Now, to heed is to obey. is to act upon truth. And this is what we definitely need today. Across our nation, we need a revival of obeying God. And while perhaps some of you would say, well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I don't need this this morning. May I remind you that none of us, none of us fully obey God. All of us hold back a piece of ourselves. All of us hang on to that favorite little thing that we just don't want to let go of. And in truth, none of us completely obey God and his will. But this is what we definitely need. Now, it is my experience that there are three basic elements that lead to obedience. And without these three, we will never be able to completely obey God. But I'm going to give you these in reverse order. Because it's easier to properly get to point where we want to go by starting at the top and working down. So the ultimate element in obeying God is, letter A, confidence. In Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, we read, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. See, Paul obeyed the Lord in all that he commanded him. And as we just read, he primarily did this because of confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul wrote, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Do you see the confidence Paul has there? Paul says, I, I have no fear, I have no worry, I have no concern Because I know that God will do what he has told me he would do. That's confidence. But there is an element that precedes confidence. And that is the letter B, that is commitment. Commitment. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3 we read, Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. I find that this is the most difficult thing to get out of God's people in this day. And that is this thing of commitment. Yet, without commitment, 
It is impossible to become completely obedient. Oh, we may, we may obey in some things. We may obey in the easy things. But to completely obey in all things takes commitment. Things like tithing, dedicated prayer, faithful church attendance, soul winning. These things are not the easy parts of the Christian life. These are not the easy things. And these require a full commitment to God and his will. But as before, commitment is also preceded by another element. And that is, letter C, courage. You see, a person cannot have confidence without first making a commitment. And a person will not make a commitment without courage. Do you have the courage today to to make the commitment necessary to obey the Lord in all things? For nearly 30 years, I worked with teenagers. And this is where the problem for teenagers all begins. They have a problem with courage. They, they don't have the courage to stand up in their generation and say, I will serve the Lord. Because if they do so, they'll become alienated. And those of us who are past the teenage years, we all know how stressful they are, don't we? We all know how much pressure is placed upon a teenager to conform to those around them. And without great courage, a teenager will not, will not take that stand. Obedience to the Lord begins with courage. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're 15 or if you're 50 or if you're 65. You have to have the courage to stand as well. Do you have the courage today to commit, to, to, to stand for God and, and make that commitment? Well, the Apostle Paul did. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, we read, And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul just, just met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was stricken with blindness and, and, and standing before the Lord, and Paul had the courage to, to stand there and say, what do you want me to do, God? I'll do it, whatever it may be. But we lack that courage today. We lack the courage to, to make that, that, that commitment to God. But Paul didn't. Uh, there's another group of guys that had the courage. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had the courage, and their courage led to their obedience. In Daniel chapter 3, now let me set the stage here. King Nebuchadnezzar had, had a dream, and in this dream he saw a great image. And so he had, this, he had this image of himself built, and this image was 90 feet tall. Talk about an ego problem. And he, he, he erected this image in the, in, in the middle of the city, and he made a law that 
whenever you heard the sound of, of the instruments playing, no matter what you were doing, you were to stop, you were to stand and face that image, and you were to, to bow down to it. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a problem with that. You see, they weren't going to worship no God but, God, but the God of, of David, the, the God of Abraham. So in verse 16 of Daniel chapter 3, they've been brought before the king and accused. And so we pick up the story here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful, and that word careful means afraid or anxious. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Now, let me stop right here. They said, if it be so. And in other words, they're saying, if it's God's will to, to deliver us, then, then he'll deliver us from the furnace. But let's go on. Um, but if not, verse 18, but if not, if it's not his will to keep us out of the furnace, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they said, listen, king, we're not afraid of you. If it's God's will to, to deliver us from that furnace, then he'll deliver us. And if it's not his will, we're still not going to do what you tell us to do. Now, let me tell you something. That takes courage. And it was that courage that led them to make the commitments to God they made, which led them to their complete obedience to the Lord. But we read about one man who didn't have courage. Conversely, Saul, King Saul, lacked the courage to obey God. And in 1 Samuel 13, 13, we read, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Saul was, was waiting for Samuel to come to, to offer an offering unto God for the, for the soldiers that they might go and win the battle. And, and Samuel was running late. And Saul got impatient. And when he saw that the people were, were getting ready, were, were getting tired of waiting for Samuel and were getting ready to leave and abandon him, he went ahead and disobeyed God and did what he shouldn't do to gain the favor of the people. And boy, how often in life do we do that? How often in life do we just go ahead and put away the commandment of the Lord so that we can keep our friends, so that we can keep our jobs, so that we can hang on to our wealth? And by the way, Saul's kingdom didn't go on forever. Saul was killed by the Philistines, and, and David took over as the king of, of Israel. Remember the admonitions that we find in Scripture. James chapter 1 and verse 22, where we read, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So we need a revival today of heeding, of obedience, of doing it the right way. There are lots of people in this country trying to, trying to do what they claim is the work of God, but yet they're doing it in ways that are in opposition to the word of God. We're to obey the Lord, but we're to obey his word. We're not to 
We're not to twist scripture to say what we want it to say. We're to have courage. And that courage will lead us to commitment. And that commitment will give us confidence. And that confidence will enable us to obey the Lord. Now, there's so much more that I could preach concerning this subject matter. However, I made myself and the Lord a promise today that I would not go overtime. I know it's a burden, and I decided, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to limit what I talk about and, and get through this. So time just doesn't allow me to go on. I hope that this teaching has, has, today has whet your appetite to, to look into this matter of revival and that you would, you would dig into the Word of God and, 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 and find those truths that you need. All of us here today, all of us, need a revival. Not one of us can boast that we are all that we can and should be for our Lord Jesus Christ. Ronan Park needs a revival to fall upon this church. Sonoma County. The world needs God's people to, to fall into revival. So let us all join together in praying and calling upon God to send a revival into our hearts. Lord, send a revival and let the work begin in me. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we desire to serve you and we desire to be obedient. But Father, our flesh is weak and I know that that's a poor excuse. But Father, we need you. We need your spirit to guide us. We need your spirit to lead us. Help us, Father, as your children, never to be satisfied with, never to become complacent, but help us to strive every day to, to, to grow, to be more like Christ, to, to study your word and know more about you. Lord, send a revival into our hearts. Cause us, Father, to serve you. Help us to do those things that need to be done. Thank you, Father, for this church. We pray for our pastor this morning that you would protect him and and that you would give him rest. Thank you for all those that have come today and I pray you'd bless each home. And Lord, we just praise you and, and want to worship you today and thank you. You are our God. You are our King. And we humbly submit ourselves unto you. Thank you for this day. We ask now that you would bless all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.